there is a social side of self-confidence. Find some people who believe in you. Find some people who do, do more than criticize. Find some people who also help. And there's, there's people in your life, I bet, there's been people in my life who saw more in me than, than I saw in myself. And uh, that's a great source of, of self-confidence. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Program Life Podcast, where we want our listeners, guests, and myself to learn something new. Every week, I bring in a guest who has a passion for topics related to productivity or mental health. And our guest on this episode today is Dan Rockwell, who is a former entrepreneur, world-renowned speaker, and creator of Leadership Freak, which is a top leadership blog that is named the number one most socially shared leadership blog on the internet. In this episode, me and Dan discuss about various topics such as leadership, productivity, and self-confidence. So real quick, before this episode starts, if you're new here, I upload every week on Thursday morning EST as well as put out extra content on my blog such as my email newsletter and key takeaways on each episode. So if you want these goodies, just head over to my website as well, which is programlife.org. Also, it would be great if you could head over and click that subscribe or follow button right now on whichever platform you're using to listen to this podcast right now. And it only takes a second and you'll get notified of all the great content that I provide you guys. And also take time to please leave me a rating and review telling me on what you liked about this episode the most. It helps me a lot and it only takes a few seconds as well. You can also follow me on Instagram at yogishprabhu2 and also follow the Program Life Instagram page, which is program underscore life underscore and also my Twitter at yogishprabhu03. And so that's enough plugging for me. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. All right. So Dan, I'm really excited to have you on the on the show as you are one of the world's most prolific and insightful thinkers on leadership. You're also a former entrepreneur, consultant, world-renowned uh, speaker, and creator of Leadership Freak, uh, which is a top like leadership blog that is named like the number one most socially shared leadership blog on the internet right now. And your blog has actually truly inspired me on starting, um, you know, a blog myself, and in fact, putting myself out there in forms like this podcast. So before I get into these questions that I have for you today, I would like to thank you for coming on to the show, Dan. Thank you, Yogesh. And uh, where is your blog, by the way? I'm glad that you asked. It's actually on www.programlife.org. And you can find my blog there and you can find extra new, like email newsletters and key takeaways of this episode if you want. So head over there and check it out, guys. And you know, hit that subscribe and follow button as well. Yeah. So um, let's move on to the the first question, which is what do you define leadership as? And do you think leadership is less about you, but more about more about realigning yourself with others? So, uh, Yogesh, I think this is a bit of a loaded question in a way, because in one sense, leadership is about you and I, if you're leading something, and it is also about others. 
Um, I'll give you my favorite definition of leadership, and it's really not mine. It's Francis Heschelbein's. Francis Heschelbein is a a presidential medal or uh, honor, medal of freedom winner here in the U.S. Mm. And uh, she defines leadership as uh, leadership is a matter of how to be, not how to do. And I, I think, uh, I think the idea that leadership is about who we are is, uh, you know, what we're moving toward in leadership today versus what we do, which is some of the past approaches to leadership. So I like that idea, but I also like the idea that, uh, you know, it is about others. So you suggest that in the question, you know, is it less about mm-hmm. you and, and more about, uh, you know, real, realigning yourself with others. And, if you don't understand your team, if you don't understand the people in your leading, then uh, you're going to be a failure. So in one sense, leadership is about bringing our best self into a situation where we can make a difference. And it's also about understanding how to bring others you know, into that situation, bringing their best selves as well. So it, it, there's two sides to the coin. Uh, so in one sense, yes. Align yourself with others, understand others, help them bring their best selves to a situation. And in another sense, you need to bring, you don't get lost, right? You, you need to bring your best self into that situation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, who, who would be your favorite leader and why? <laughs> That's a great question, right? And uh, my favorite leader is usually the one I'm talking to uh, because I just find people to be fascinating. So I, I get the opportunity mm. to talk to lots of organizational leaders and everybody's different. Everybody has things that they, you know, think are important. And uh, so uh, the one I'm, it's sort of like people ask me, what's my favorite book? And it's, Usually the one I'm reading, uh, books have had different Im- impacts on me. But So my favorite leader is the one I'm talking to today. Having said that, um, Doug Conant uh, is the retired CEO of Campbell's Soup, and uh, he's just a, a wonderful person, humble, uh, and, and interested in others. And, and I, I do enjoy him. I enjoy his company. Uh, so as far as organizational leaders go, I wouldn't really want to pick one, but uh, uh, they're all great. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? It, and I shouldn't mm-hmm. say that they're not all great, but uh, <laughs> everybody, everybody has something, you know, and everybody's interesting. So, mm. yeah. So when it comes to leadership, could you tell me like a time that you most likely struggled with your work and life balance like did you did you manage to solve this problem and how did you manage to do that <laughs> so i don't know who hasn't struggled with like work life balance and i'm not even sure that's the the best word for the whole thing i think yeah. uh you know we kind of sway i've heard the term sway so we sway back and forth sometimes you have to work longer or sometimes you're able to work shorter um, some of it has to do with the capacity of the person and the life situation. When our children were home, they're all grown now. When our children are home, the uh, life work balance looked different than it does today. Now that, uh, you know, we have an empty nest. So 
yes. The answer to the question is yes, and I'll give you a story from when I worked at a Penn State affiliate. Uh, so I was in higher ed for 15 years, and I wrote a grant. And the result of the grant was that I ended up working Saturdays and weekends, and there was a lot of uh, added stress. And finally, I just looked at what was going on, and I said, you know, this is not the way I want to be. So I went mm-hmm. to my boss, and I said, uh, you know, I want to get grant writing taken out of my job description. Now, this was really hard because I'm a person who wants to please, right? I want to do what the boss wants. I want to mm-hmm. please people. And it was really uh, the first time first time I'd ever said no to my boss or ever said anything like this to her. Uh, but I did say it, and she tried to convince me no, and she said uh, then it was sort of threatening, like, well, your salary may change, and you know, on and on it went. And we had several meetings, and I appreciate that it probably made her uncomfortable to go to HR and say, we have to get this out of Dan's job description. But uh, I had just decided that quality of life was more important than the job. So I didn't back down, and eventually they did take that out of my job description. And guess what? I It didn't affect my salary. It didn't affect my job title. It didn't affect anything. But I had a little more peace of mind. Yeah. And do you think, like, again, that kind of relates to, like, um, the art of saying no um, in life. So do you think saying no is um, helpful to people? Um, throughout their life. Uh, If you can't learn to say no, then uh, your basket just gets fuller and fuller and starts overflowing. And there's a real skill in taking stuff out of your basket. And uh, honestly, when, when organizations start new initiatives, one of the questions to ask is, what do we need to stop doing? And teams need to have this conversation too, perhaps once a quarter. What are we doing that's really not serving us well? What are we doing that's not delivering the return that it used to deliver? What do we need to stop doing? Here's what we know. If you're grappling with a problem and that problem has been hanging on for a while, right? It keeps, it can't seem to solve it, but you're mm-hmm. trying to solve it. The th- we know this. If a problem persists that you're trying to solve, then what you're doing's not working. And pedaling the bike harder is not going to help. Trying harder is not going to help. We need to stop doing whatever we think is working so that we have room in our lives to to try something else. And the word try is really important here, you guess. Mm-hmm. We, we, don't, we, we don't have guarantees that it's going to be perfect. So we, uh, we stop something and we try something else and then we assess. Did it work for us or didn't it work for us? So the art of saying no is perhaps one of the most neglected arts in leadership. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And just something similar to the negative aspect of saying no. Um, how do you respond to criticism? And, you know, like when, in, for example, in a workplace and, you know, if you're, if you're leading the team and like some some people do criticize you. So how do you, how do you respond to these criticisms? 
Oh, I just love it, Yogesh. I just I'm so excited about it when somebody criticizes me. I'm being sarcastic. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, criticism is hard to take because no one intentionally does something stupid or wrong. Right. You, mm. you do what you do because you think it's the right thing to do. So uh, criticism is hard to take. Now, I, I'm going to just be honest with you. Um, I in the area where I have high aspiration. Uh, having constructive criticism uh, really excites me. So I want to be a great presenter. Right. I, want, I go to conferences and I speak at organizations and. If someone were to tell me, Dan, if you uh, started breathing a little deeper, your voice would sound better, I would appreciate it. You know, if they said, Dan, you know, your your voice sounds too stressed. And, and I, I would appreciate it because I have an aspiration there. And I think sometimes what's hard about criticism is the other person has aspirations for you that you don't have for yourself. So that that then becomes awkward and difficult, and, and sometimes the critic is really trying to get you not to be your best self, but to be their best self. They want you to be more like them. That I find to be kind of irritating. So mm-hmm. in those cases, you tend to just smile, you say thank you, and then you forget it because it just it's it's not useful. So when it comes to here's here's the thing: when it comes to criticism, if I feel respected if i if the person understands what i'm trying to accomplish not what they want me to accomplish right if they understand mm-hmm. that i'm trying to be a great writer or if i'm trying to be a great speaker or if i'm trying to be a great manager if they understand that and then they help me do that i'm thankful for their criticism but beyond that, you know, the critic is uh, criticism is what do they say? The person who criticize the crit- critics are like noses, right? Everybody has one, mm-hmm. so you can sort of, in some senses, and I, I know this probably isn't the most popular thing for me to say to you, but in in some sense, it's like just keep it to yourself. Now, mm-hmm. if you do understand what's going on, if you do have respect, and you have some expertise in a certain area then go ahead and and offer the criticism and I'm delighted to receive it. All the other stuff, I'm going to be polite and I'm just going to forget it. Mm, Yeah. And what, when it comes, it's almost like when you respond to criticism, you're, you're kind of choosing which ones to, which ones to actually take in and which ones to ignore away. Is there um, like, um, like a method that, like something that goes in your head when you receive criticism. Like, what can you get? Can you walk me through some of the steps that goes through your head when you receive criticism? Like, how do you differentiate between a criticism that you should ignore and a criticism that you should actually genuinely take in? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, the first thing I have a hip pocket response to what I would consider either awkward or difficult or uncomfortable comments or questions or feedback. And I'm always going to say, thanks for saying that. Because I realize that for some people, it might have been difficult for them to say it, or they might have felt awkward too. So, And it also gives me a moment where I can just relax. So if someone walks up to you and they say something that sets you on edge, if you don't have a prepared response, 
then you step right into that edginess. Maybe you get defensive. Maybe you know. Maybe you uh, attack back. What whatever. Maybe maybe you mm-hmm. pull away. So the the idea here is you get this response prepared. Anytime somebody says something that sounds like a contradiction to what I've been teaching, anytime someone offers a criticism, I have one first response. Thanks for saying that. And then I'm going to, depending on if I, if I want to respond right away, I might ask a question. The other thing it's important to do when, when you're in these situations is somehow uh, pop the cork on the um, uh, pressure of time. In other words, we feel this pressure to respond right now. So if it is an important conversation and it's something you want to think about, it's good to say, wow, tell me a little more about that. And then once you've listened a bit, say, I, I really need to think this over a little while. Can I, can I get back to you tomorrow? So you're showing respect for the person and you, you, you're listening and then you need to think about it a little bit. The other thing I do when someone were to criticize is I'm going to ask myself this question. If I listen to this person, where does it take me? This person wants you know me to adjust or wants you to adjust in some way, and so they they they're trying to get some sort of result. And it may be that where they want to go is the same place you want to go. So if that's the case, and their idea sounds like something to try, then obviously be thankful for it. So I'm thinking about uh, trajectory. Where do, where does where does this tend to go? And I'm I'm thinking about result. And and another factor in the whole process is what are you good at? And someone might say, Dan, you know, you need to tell more jokes. No, I don't need to tell more jokes. I'm a terrible joke teller. As a matter of fact, my gift is telling terrible jokes, and then people are moaning and moaning about it because really I get the same result, right? People sort of loosen up, and I say, yeah, I know, it was a terrible joke, right? And and then on we go. I'm not going to be a comedian. So, you know, you got to understand your strength and, your, you know, what you want to accomplish in life and listen to the critic through through that lens too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And just some, somewhat relating to criticisms, I feel like um, self-confidence is also quite, a, quite of an important factor when it comes to leadership. So what, how do we actually gain the self-confidence when we, for example, speak up on stage and lead people in a sense? Well, the first thing, this is another great question, Yogesh, and uh, I, I think the first thing I would say to say to a person who feels uh, either insecure or nervous about, for example, speaking in front of people, which would be very normal, um, is uh, it, preparation is is helpful. So if you're going to lead a meeting for the first time, if you're going to have a one-on-one for the first time. Um, you want to make sure that you're fully prepared. Don't don't try to wing it. And then mm-hmm. a, another factor is to be transparent. For example, let's say you're managing a team for the first time and you're leading a meeting for the first time or you're having your one-on-ones for the first time. It's good to say, 
you know, this is the th- these are the first one on ones I've had. So uh, let's let's work through this, and then when we're done, let's think about how they could be even better. So if you just trans, if don't try to be something you're not, but don't whine, right? Don't oh, I'm nervous, I'm scared. Don't do that. That's not helpful. Mm-hmm. But you can acknowledge that this is the first time, and and it is stressful, and uh, you can even talk about being nervous. Uh, I've talked about being nervous to groups, not that I was nervous before I spoke in front of them, but that I tend to get nervous before I speak. And I don't, you know, if I'm traveling and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to a new group and it's a large thing and, and lots of people there, I don't sleep well the night before, I, you know, and, and I might stand in front of that group and say, I remember, you know, when I went so someplace and, you know, I had, I had an upset stomach and, and I can be transparent and have fun with it, but I don't want to seem like I'm, I'm, uh, you know, weak. I want to seem like I'm facing this. I, I want to seem mm-hmm. like I'm making the best of it. So self-confidence in one sense has to do with preparation. It has to do with transparency. And uh, I would say one other thing, Yogesh, and that is uh, it has to do with the people around you. There is a social side of self-confidence. Find some people who believe in you. Find some people who do do more than criticize. Find some people who also help. And there's, there's people in your life, I bet, there's been people in my life who saw more in me than, than I saw in myself. And uh, that's a great source of, of self-confidence. Yeah, like definitely. Um, and just to touch back on what you said before on preparation and trying to be someone um, who you're not, it kind of relates to an idea of perfectionism. And I'm pretty sure most leaders or like a lot of leaders have had the problem of perfectionism where they're kind of pre- they don't know when to stop and they don't know when it's enough uh, to practice or when, when to like basically say that, Oh, now it's perfect. They don't, they almost have this image that they have of themselves that they can't really reach. And it's a blurry image. And do you know how we could kind of re-architect, uh, re-architect our mind into being not so, uh, so much of a perfectionist in a way as a leader? Another, another, you ask great questions. You, you know, you're thinking about these things, and that's just a wonderful question. The, the uh, presence of perfectionism, I think, is pretty robust in leadership and in, in so many areas of life. And I think it's the reason we don't do things. I think it's yeah. the reason we don't try things. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I feel it. I feel that everything has to be, uh, you know, perfect and, uh, it takes a while to come to the realization that the, that there is no perfect, that there's there's always better. And if there's always better, then there is no perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that has helped me, um, and I'm not sure that it overcomes perfectionism, but at least it addresses the problem of delay and the problem of not doing things is, uh, for example, I write five days a week now. I've written seven days a week on Leadership Freak. Uh, but mm-hmm. I write five days a week now, and I made this commitment to myself from the very beginning, 10 or 11 years ago. And a deadline 
really helps perfectionism. <laughs> In other words, mm. you know, I'm going to put that post out there on almost every day, not every day, but almost every day at 6.47 a.m. Eastern time. I'm going to publish that post. That means, buddy boy, it's good enough. When it comes to 647, you've you got to get it out there. And honestly, um, I go back and it, it takes a little bit of courage, I guess. I don't know if it's courage. I don't know what it is. But it, 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 I put it out there and then I go back, you know, later, like a week later. And I look at that and I think that sentence is, I don't understand what that's about. And I realize that, you know, it could have been, should have been better. But I think... I don't know uh, uh, for sure about how to change your thinking about it, but I I do think trying to address the issue of perfectionism is, uh, for me, is done with deadlines and accepting um, accepting uh, an engagement, you know, a coaching client or a mm-hmm. a speaking client. I mean, the first time you can't you can't believe this man. The first time. I did a major event. I went. To, I was invited to speak several years ago in Las Vegas to a mm-hmm. national organization. There were going to be thousands of CEOs and board chair persons, and I was terrified. And I think mm-hmm. uh, the idea of accepting that and and thinking, what are my aspirations? Well, I do want to be a speaker, and and do your best and. I'm going to say this also, Yogesh, I just have to tell you, I get done with whatever I do and uh, I I have a critique fest, right? I'm walking back to a hotel room. I'm on the airplane going home and I'm thinking you should have done that and you should have done this and that didn't work right. And I'm not, I'm not sure that's a good thing. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't have a cure for, okay, there's a lot of talk in there. I don't have a cure for perfectionism. All I'm saying is you got to make some commitments and set some deadlines and get that stuff done. Mm. Yeah. And I think, yeah, definitely. I've tried deadlines um, personally, and it definitely does help get things done uh, beforehand and, you know, get that, uh, get whatever you got to get done on time and out there. And obviously, there's obviously just ways to improve. And we just got to accept the fact that, you know, anything can just be better and better. So I would like to move on to emotional intelligence as well, um, which is, I think, a crucial part of um, effective leadership in any environment. So possibly um, even now more than ever, actually. And how do we actively improve our self-awareness? for leadership? Well, um, I think people who have a lot of drive and people who have high aspirations, uh, they often don't see how they impact others. And that's what we're talking about when we're thinking about emotional intelligence is how are we, how are we bringing our best self and how are people responding to us and, and so it is an essential idea when it comes to leadership. Uh, I think, uh, you know, there's some research that says when you begin uh, at lower levels in organizational life, emotional intelligence um, is, you know, a, a portion of your success. 
But the further up you go, uh, the more important it becomes until really uh, almost all of your success is related to how you understand people and how you understand yourself. You you had to do the technical stuff at the beginning. And as you move up in an organization, you don't do the technical stuff anymore. And you start, it's all about the people. So we've all been in those situations where we did something or said something and there was this very unusual response. People overreacted. Mm-hmm. And that's because we don't know, we don't see ourselves. So I think there are a couple of ways to uh, improve your, so your, your emotional intelligence. And of course, there are some great books out there. Emotional Intelligence uh, 2.0, for example, is a great little book that has, work, you know, projects and all kinds of stuff. But I would suggest uh, engaging in self-reflection. And that that could include uh, keeping a journal in the morning, just jotting down things. It could include uh, it, uh, a time of self-reflection in the evening. Harry Kramer, the former CEO of Baxter Pharmaceutical, asked himself a series of questions in the evening. Did I get done what I planned to get done? If I didn't, what happened? And what have I learned today? He has a series of questions that he asks. And I think mm-hmm. uh, self-reflection, I'm, I journal and, and I think a time to reflect on yourself is very, very useful, but that's only half. The other part of developing emotional intelligence is getting feedback from others. I don't believe developing emotional intelligence is like sitting under a tree and contemplating the meaning of your life. You, We learn and grow in community, and emotional intelligence is not only about who we are, but it's about how we interact and how others perceive us and how others take us. And so it, I think you find people you can trust and you say, you tell them, my goal in this meeting is to have it end with a sense of, of uh, trajectory, a, a, a sense of progress. And I'd appreciate it if you'd watch and let me know what I'm doing that helps that, what I'm doing that hinders that. So you may think you're doing something that's helpful when it's really not helpful. So getting feedback from others is the other side of it. Self-reflection is great. It's an important part of this. And the other part is getting feedback from people you trust. Yeah, definitely. I think journaling is also quite an important factor there as well, because I also journal personally, and I usually um, follow the questions that um, the Stoics kind of ask themselves when it comes to problems that they face um, you know, like such as just kind of asking yourself what is in your control and what it isn't in your control. And that really helps a lot, you know, get a more holistic point of view in life. That is such a great, great question, right? Something yeah. great to reflect on because now I can take responsibility for those things that are in my control and I can let go of those other things. That's such, that's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And like, I would say, um, oh yeah, just also just moving on to like the productivity side of leadership. Um, it's mo- mostly leaders like to be more productive and they, they see themselves as, um, you know, they want to be more productive with their team and as well as in their personal space. So how do we make sure projects and tasks stay on schedule and how do you how do you manage to do that? A lot of that has to do with knowing your people and making sure they're doing the things that they're best at. 
So it, mm. I found in my own life that it's been so frustrating when I expect someone to do something that they just don't do well. And mm. and so then I get mad at them. I get frustrated. I Then I start to intervene. I start to step into their lives more. But in the end, it was my fault because I asked them to do something that they just are terrible at doing. And they're nice or they're respectful. And they said, yes. That, you know, when really it's just a loser all the way around. So I just want to mention as far as productivity goes and accountability that we, it's important to get people doing things that they're, that they love doing and mm-hmm. doing things that they're really good at. And, and uh, if you expect them to do things that they're not good at, then you're going to have a real problem. And the other mm-hmm. thing I think is set up uh, reporting. And, and it, it doesn't have to be oppressive and it can, it, it really can be useful. So you set a deadline and you, you, you touch base with people or more importantly, perhaps you, you ask them to touch base with you. Maybe you set up a one-on-one, but I think ongoing, uh, uh, connectedness with people helps showing interest helps, uh, mm-hmm. making sure you're clear on the goal, making sure you're clear on the milestones on what needs to get done by when all of those things are valuable. A lot of it, I think just has to do with being interested in people and, and staying in touch with people, um, and, and asking how things are going uh, beyond like, okay, next, next Friday, we have an update meeting which that that also helps. We're thinking a lot here, Yogesh, about accountability. And I think accountability mm-hmm. is uh, best designed by the person who is doing the job. So one of the things I ask coaching clients and uh, ask people who need to get things done is after at the end of our conversation, I'll say, what do you want me to ask you the next time we get together? Now, this is an accountability question where they design it themselves. And they'll say, well, ask me about this or ask me about that. And I'll jot down the question. I'll say, great, I'm going to ask you about that. Now, in the case of a low performer, you may need to help. You may need to say, the next time we get together, I'm going to ask you about this and that. And and uh, uh, there are some general questions you can ask people. Like uh, you could say, the next time we get together, I'm going to ask you, what did you try? How did it work? What did you learn? And what are you going to do next time? So in part of this, you know, accountability and getting things done is you don't want to surprise people. You want to be in their team with them. You want to be pulling the rope with them. You want to be encouraging. Um, And there is something to be said for just knowing what's going on, um, letting people know that you know and and caring for people. Hmm. Yeah. And relating to productivity, there's also um, another great topic that relates to it is motivation. And leaders must also learn how to stay motivated and then coach others in self-motivation. So how do we develop as leaders, um, how do we develop skills in motivating ourselves and then therefore others as well? (laughs) You don't ask easy questions. I'll say that. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, let me say this. If you are constantly pushing yourself, if you're constantly, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, and you're trying to motivate yourself, you're doing the wrong things. I Mm -hmm. think there is this sense of pull 
in life that is much more powerful than the sense of push. So when we think about motivation, I don't want to think about pushing people to do something they don't want to do. I don't want to think about pushing myself to do things I don't want to do. And, and you, obviously, you have to pull back a little bit. Let's suppose, for example, it's it's exercise, and you know you need to do some exercise. It may There may be some things in life that you say, I don't like exercising, but we want to think about what it is that we really want. And so what am I going to push? My, what's motivation there? Motivation is I want to be healthy. I'm working to be healthy. It isn't that I'm working to do 20 push-ups or, or, or 10 pull-ups or to run two miles. That's, you know, that's part of it. But in the end, you need something bigger than just a task to find motivation. I really believe this, Yogesh. I believe that motivation is so much more about love than it is about discipline. Do the things you love to do. And I don't mean be selfish. Do those things you love to do in service to others. Do what you love, and uh, the motivation is less of a problem. That doesn't mean there aren't mornings when, when you get up and you say, I don't want to get out of bed, right? <laughs> I want to I lay in bed. So mm. th- that happens, but um, for the most part, in general, I want to say motivation is really about uh, – Sticking into uh, you know sticking into those things, staying in with those things that you that you love and you enjoy, and knowing what those things are. Uh, for me, um, and don't tell anybody I said this, but uh, <laughs> you know I I enjoy the uh, audiences that I speak to when they enjoy me. Mm-hmm. I want to be enjoyed, and that motivates me. Mm-hmm. I want people to to come up to me afterwards and say, uh, "This is one." You know, they say that's that was a great presentation, Dan. And I'm going to say, "Well, what what did you take away from it?" And I want to hear what was important to them and kind of learn about them. But there is this sense of motivation that you know, enthusiasm, energy that uh, for me personally, that you know, I get from others. Other people have different motivations, which leads me to how do we motivate other people, which I think is kind of an awkward thing because, again, it starts to feel like I'm pushing people to do things they don't mm-hmm. want to do. But you can help people find their own motivation by watching them. One of the, one of the most powerful things hap- that happens in a coaching conversation is for me to monitor a person's energy and watch when they light up. When they light up, I'm going to ask them what's going on. So I, if uh, I've been talking on here, I can give you a quick story or we can move on, Yogesh. Sure, sure. You can you can go ahead. Um, so I was uh, with a coaching client and he, he was uh, pretty discouraged. And um, I ended up out in Vegas having, uh, he, uh, having a coach, spending a day with him. And in the evening, we had dinner, uh, he and his wife and I. And during dinner, he started talking about his kids, and he just lit up, and it was the first time I'd seen it. And so I I listened to him and come to find out he had four children of his own who are all grown up, and mm-hmm. they, he and his wife, adopted four more children. There's eight children altogether. And uh, I was pretty, I was pretty impressed with that. That sounds exhausting <laughs> to me, but he was, he was invigorated by it. 
And and here's the thing. I said to him, you know, why are you lighting up? What's going on with you? He says, Dan, I love being a dad. Now, here's the thing. So I said, we talked for a bit, and I said to him, what happens in your thinking if tomorrow morning when you go into work, instead of wearing the leader hat, you put the dad hat on? Because that's where his motivation was. Mm. And I, I don't mean he, he can go to work and say, daddy's home, right? You, this is just his mm-hmm. internal approach. And and that is the, the father leader, the, the, the things that and by the way, he had very interesting things to say about what what would shift in his leadership. One of them was he would hold people more accountable if he showed up as like a a dad leader. Again, don't don't tell people you're doing this because it's just weird. But he's mm-hmm. tapping into his own inner motivation. Because I believe this: leaders don't have to be less of who they are; they need to be more of who they are. He needed mm-hmm. to bring his whole self to work. And part of that is this motivation that comes from, uh, you know, fatherhood for him. Yeah, that that that's definitely, I agree with that as a whole. Like we should probably show more of ourselves as leaders to connect more with people, more or less, and as well as um, motivate ourselves as well. And just to wrap this episode up, I would also like to ask you just one last question. Like I always do at the end of each episode, I relate the topic that we talk about today, which is generally leadership, to a favorite quote of mine. And I would like to know your opinion on this quote and uh, how it applies to your life and the work that you do. So the quote goes, a leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done and when his aim is for fulfilled, they will say, we did it ourselves. Lao Tzu who is a Chinese philosopher. So who is your, uh, I mean, what is your opinion on this quote and how does it apply to your life and the work that you do? Well, it, it applies and it doesn't apply. You know, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> you're asking these, you know, uh, hard questions. And I, I would, I, I love the quote, by the way, and there is this idea of leading from the front and then there is this idea of leading from the back. And I think there's real power in leading from the back. And it, we need to do more of that. I just had a conversation with a, a person that I work with. And he runs the meetings. He runs their operational meetings. So he walks in and it, they're about an hour long. And he runs them for about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. And then for the last 15 minutes, the various direct reports, they take over. And I said to him, what happens if you completely reverse the way you are approaching this meeting? And they don't, you don't do the first 45, you do the last 10 or 15. And man, he just started thinking of all kinds of advantages. And this is uh, leading from behind versus leading from the front instead of being the dominant person. And uh, he's experimenting uh, in the next few weeks on, on practicing this idea. So I think there's great power in leading from the back. But there are situations where you need to lead from the front. A crisis, for example, requires strong, very visible leadership. If the Mm -hmm. ship is in a storm, the captain needs to be on the deck. 
if the house is on fire, the, the, the fire chief needs to be guiding the crew and telling people what to do. It doesn't mean that they, don't, they can't do their job well. It just mean, it means one person uh, needs to be in charge. If there's a crisis, we don't want to sit down and have a meeting. We want somebody to make a decision. Now, in a day-to-day, I, I really believe this, that uh, you need to make other people important. In, and even in the even in the more crisis situations, other people are important. However, you need to intervene more. You need to be more active as a leader. Love the quote. I think I don't think it always applies, but I do think it is important. And what it drives, by the way, what it drives leaders to do is if they're going to lead from the back, there needs to be clarity of purpose. People, everybody needs to know what's the direction we're going. Right. There needs to be clarity yeah. of purpose. There needs to be an understanding on the team of who people, you know, who's good at what and, you know, who we need to, you know, do who needs to do certain things. So uh, those are all very important. And I think behind the scenes types of leadership where you help the team learn each other's skills and strengths and talents and how they work best together. And then, you know, you, as the captain of the ship, so to speak, uh, you go down below. You go down below and you you map the next course out, or you work with somebody who needs some sort of intervention there. So I think there's two sides to the quote. Love the quote. I think there are two sides to it. Mm, yeah, definitely. And um, that kind of wraps this episode up. And again, I feel like we have had an amazing conversation today. And again, thank you so much, Len, for coming on to the show. Thank you, Yogesh. I appreciate it. Oh, 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 oh,